As Justin mentioned earlier, we're beginning our new series called Rooted. And um, as, as we look at these six expressions of love over the next six weeks, we have talked about being rooted for a very long time here. Uh, it's on shirts, it's on signs, uh, we say the words a lot, but we want you to know that being rooted is more than a slogan or a motto or a picture on a wall or a t-shirt. It is who we are called to be. So over the next six weeks, we want to unpack what these six expressions are and what it really looks like to live a life that is rooted, expressing God's love inside and out. And our hope and prayer is that being rooted becomes part of our DNA as a body of believers, but also individually as believers in Jesus. So the first expression we're going to look at today is study. Now, if you're like me, uh, you might hear that and say, well, great. He's going to tell me I don't study my Bible enough. And maybe you don't, but, but don't block me out. Don't tune out just yet. Because what you'll find is that being rooted in study is far more than knowing a bunch of Bible verses or doing your daily checklist of things you should do in your daily Bible reading. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, starting with the verse 1 all the way through 11 to a familiar passage that uh, you, you may be with. And so if you're turning there, uh, as you're getting there, in Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus freshly off one of the most exhilarating experiences of his life. He had just been baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And the thing about that was, I mean, voices from heaven, uh, the Spirit descending on him like a dove, uh, these, this had to be just you know, the highest of mountain peaks is an experience. But then you turn to chapter 4, and you find him heading to what would have to be one of the most exhausting experiences. He's heading to the wilderness for a 40-day and a 40-night fast. This is an inhabitable wasteland, uninhabitable wasteland. It's lonely. It's desperate desolate. Jesus went there to fast, and he did it intentionally in preparation for the start of his earthly ministry. And so after, after those 40 days where he was undoubtedly praying more than anybody's ever prayed before, uh, as he was certainly more focused on the, the next three years of his life and what that was going to look like, he was depleted. He was empty, he was tired, he was hungry and alone. And as so often happens even today, when we are feeling tired, empty, and alone, the tempter enters. Hey Jesus, you're looking pretty rough there, buddy, the tempter says. You look like you could use something to eat. Uh, after all this time out here, man, I bet you are starving. Hey, man, look, look around. There's, no, there's nobody here. You know that you're the son of God. The power you have is unimaginable and undeniable. And it's a long way back to town. You know, as a son of God, you could turn those, those stones over there into a little snack. So why not? No one's going to know. You, you deserve it. You just, you just went through 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. I picture Jesus' 
eyes following the, the bony finger of the tempter, looking at that pile of stones. I mean, he's, he's not wrong, you know. It would not be hard to do for the guy who would eventually be turning water into wine. But Jesus, recalling the first 30 years of his life, the trips to the temple with his family, the, the times they sat in the synagogue, his education, he recalls something from the law of Moses, and he replies, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then an unknown amount of time passes, and the tempter returns, and he takes Jesus to Jerusalem, to the top of the temple. Now, this is no ordinary tower. This was the top of the most magnificent structure in the ancient world. This, this temple was the visible demonstration of God's presence and his protection for his people. And this time, the tempter plays the same card that Jesus played, quoting scripture. Jesus, I know you embody God's presence. But if that's true, take a jump. Jump down from here. You remember, you remember Jesus, when the psalmist wrote that, that he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up so that you won't even uh, hit your head on a stone or strike your foot against a stone? God's not going to allow himself to be dashed against the rocks here, not in front of all these people. And Jesus looks down on this amazing building that God commanded them to build, and this building that, that represents God's presence among his people for so long, we know he pondered. What, I mean, that would be an incredible way to introduce myself, introduce the Messiah to this world to reveal God's presence in me. But he stops. And he turns to the tempter and recites again from the law of Moses. Yeah, but it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan has one last attempt. He's taken, Jesus is taken to the most spectacular view in the land. So Jesus, I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? Look, you can, you can see for miles. Oh, there's a little village over there. Did, did you even know that was there, man? That's pretty cool. And there's, there's Jerusalem, man. It, it's just kind of sparkling like a diamond in the sea of of death. You know, Jesus, you could have all of this. You could have all the cities, all the people. You could reign over all of it, and you could do that now. Just, just bow down and worship me. Jesus knows, of course, that he will ultimately reign over all of this. But the journey to get there is not a desirable one. Could I, really, could I really bypass the sorrow and the suffering and the violent death that lies ahead of me? Could I skip this path of pain and reign and rule now? But then Jesus recalls again the words of Moses as he speaks, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Isn't it true that we're, I mean, we're all tempted uh, to fulfill our wants apart from God's will. 
we, we are tempted to think that we deserve better, we deserve more, and quite frankly, we deserve it uh, now. And so you look at this account, and you see Jesus was offered self-gratification by turning stones into bread. He had undoubtedly a need for food. But remembering back into Deuteronomy 8 from the law of Moses that speaks of the 40 years of wandering in the desert where God alone provided food by the way of manna and quail and water through his faithful provision for his people, Jesus remembered and he, and he trusted the all-satisfying, all-sufficient goodness of God in the face of, of self-gratification. And then we look to the second one, and, and we're, all, we're all tempted to question God's presence at some point. We, we question, why would God allow that to happen or this to happen, or why would God allow me to go, go through this? Doesn't his word say that he wants to bless me or he'll, he'll take care of me? This doesn't feel like being taken care of. And so we're tempted to manipulate God's promises, to, to question his presence. And Jesus was offered self-protection. Could he have survived that fall from the temple mount? Yes. And Satan tried to use the Bible for Jesus to, to get Jesus to question God's presence and God's protection in that moment. But Jesus chose to rest in the shelter of God's unshakable security. And then the third and final temptation. Man, we're all tempted to assert ourselves in this world, to elevate our name and our influence, while maybe even inadvertently robbing God of the worship due his name. We do that through self-promoting or name-dropping, finagling, the facts to, to make ourselves look better, but we're all tempted to make our name known, forgetting that our purpose is to glorify God and make him known among the nations. And Jesus was offered self-exaltation, but he refused to exchange in-time exaltation for the right-now exaltation from a snake. Jesus chose to live a life of suffering obedience. And in the end, we know, because we've, we've read the end, that Jesus receives the authority in all heaven and on earth and under the earth. It was all given to him. Many sermons and sermon series could be preached from this little passage, these 11 verses. And, and you might wonder, what in the world does this have to do with being rooted in study? Well, three times Jesus is tempted, and three times he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus knew the book of Deuteronomy because he studied, and he knew what we probably know, but we often don't practice. Because it is, it is through our study that we are prepared for the testing. So don't miss this. Being rooted in study is far more than a checklist of knowing verses and reciting books. It's more than a, a game or a contest. Being rooted in study is this pursuit of understanding or deepening our understanding of God. The pursuit of deepening our understanding of God. Knowing the verses is step one, but knowing the heart of the Father, man, that's where the magic 
really happens. And I don't know, as you've read the New Testament or heard somebody reading the New Testament at times, if you've noticed how easily it seems that people will just quote Scripture. It's like, well, you've heard it said, you know this. And it's like, how, how in the world do they know the Bible? So when I read uh, the Apostle Paul, it just frustrates me. He's like quoting Psalm, uh, the psalmist here and all these different passages. Well, there's a reason, and part of that reason is that a Jewish child would begin school at the age of six. Um, now, schools look differently. They would happen in the local synagogue taught by the local rabbi. And uh, their first level of education would last from the ages of six to about ten. And the local rabbi wanted each child to know and to associate the word of God with the most delicious thing that they have ever tasted. So the students would begin their studies by memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament, what they called the Torah, we would call Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Memorized. Every child by the age of 10, most children by the age of 10, would likely have known those first five books by heart. And Jesus certainly would have been no exception because rabbis understood that knowing God's heart begins by knowing God's word. They understood that testing and temptations are going to come because we live in a sinful world. And they understood that to withstand those trials and to withstand those temptations, it's essential to know, to study, to memorize, and to marinate in the word of God. Now we live, obviously, a couple thousand years past this. But we live in a time like no other where we have access to the Bible, to Christian resources, unlike anything the Apostle Paul or Johannes Gutenberg could have even begun to imagine. And yet, so frequently, we don't take advantage of it. So I want to take a, a minute here and just give you a couple bits of practical advice. If you have not been studying the Bible faithfully for some time, please don't start a read the Bible in 365 day plan. It's a, it's a lofty goal and it's a noble goal, but you're setting yourself up for failure. And so here it is, let's see, it's the first week of February, so if you've already started one, you're probably feeling it. Um, because I'm guessing you should be into Exodus about now. And Exodus and Genesis and Exodus are full of great stories. So it's pretty easy through this part. But then you get to Exodus 21 and things start feeling a little repetitive. And then you get into Leviticus. And I know preachers aren't supposed to say things like this, but whew, Leviticus is rough. I mean, uh, and then forget about it when you get to numbers. Now, there are some great, there are some great bits and pieces in there that are wonderful. But man, to get it, sometimes it's... Uh, bit of a challenge. So don't start there because study is not a sprint. Study is a marathon. And, and so if you haven't started or if it's been a while, let me encourage you to start with one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Reorient yourself, reacquaint yourself with Jesus. There might be some things in there that you've forgotten, even if you've read them 
100 times. But then I want to encourage you to start small. If you're starting, start small. Don't compare your beginning with someone else's ending. Because I, I would read stories of reformers or, or pastors, preachers, teachers throughout history that would spend four hours a day in the Word and in prayer. And I would think, wow, I get, listen, I start drifting after about 10 minutes sometimes in prayer. And you, you've probably been there. So don't, don't compare your beginning with someone else's ending. Start small. There are just unbelievable amounts of resources. The Bible app from Life Church has Bible reading plans. You can start there. Um, I, I brought a few examples. Three-minute devotionals for men is a great starting point. It takes th- three minutes, hence the title. Uh, there's also a copy of the version of this for women. I don't have one because I'm a man. Um, but there are links to that on the church website, cvochristian.org. Uh, Max Lucado has written a blue million books, uh, and they're great. The, every one of them that I've read are, are uh, phenomenal, and, and it's a great starting point. We have some of those in the church library also. Links on the church website. And then one of my favorite resources, if you're wanting to get a big picture view of the Bible, what God has done throughout history, but you don't want to trudge through Leviticus and Numbers, uh, what this is a copy of the story, and it's 31 chapters, the Bible broken up into 31 chapters. It's abridged, uh, but it's, it's uh, really, it, it takes the layers of some of those difficult books and puts them into place uh, chronologically speaking. Uh, so it's a great starting point. Uh, it's real easy to find. If you really want one, I've got extra copies because they're great. So again, if you click uh, to our church website, you can click the resources tab and there's links to all that and some other stuff as well. Justin, earlier as he was praying uh, Paul's prayer from Ephesians 3, um, at the very beginning of that same letter, Paul writes to the church in in an opening prayer that he prays that they would know God better. And quite honestly, the, the greatest blessing anyone can experience is to know God and to know him better each day. Paul later wrote to the church in Philippi, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. It is essential to deepen our understanding of God day by day if we hope to remain faithful to our mission in this world. We live in a fallen world, and we have earthly desires and appetites. And you know this, but your appetites, your desires will never be fully or finally satisfied here on earth. Your desires, your appetites are what drive the trials you face and the temptations you face. And if you think through any of your struggles, if you name it, every temptation will have at its core either self-gratification because you want something now, the desire of the eyes. It will fall into the category of self-protection, the desires of the flesh, or self-exaltation, the pride of life. 
want to encourage you today. As we know God better, we can trust that God is better. We can trust that God is better than self-gratification. We can trust the all-sufficient goodness of our Heavenly Father. We can trust that He is better than self-protection. And we can rest in the assurance of His plans and purposes. And we can know that He is better than self-exaltation. We can, we can have confidence that our Heavenly Father knows our name and nothing else, no earthly praise could ever compare to that. So it is my prayer today as we begin this series that you also would know God better. That, that you would begin becoming rooted in study, deepening your understanding of, of your Father. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us to navigate this world on our own, but that you surrounded us with brothers and sisters we can live life together with, and you've given us your word. Father, as we, as we face trials and temptations, battles of the flesh, may we, like Jesus, withstand because we know your heart we know your heart because we know your word and it is in us Father I think thank you for that hope that you've given us through your word that not only would we be able to withstand the trials and the temptations but that we would be able to walk alongside someone else to encourage them as they struggle we can encourage them with your word and your promises. Lord, you are far too good to us, and we are far too ungrateful. May that begin to change today. In Jesus' name.